We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Union of the Unknowns. First of all, I would like to say that I will be hosting this episode, and I am Ashley slash Think, Change, Repeat. And with us, we have a wonderful array of unknowns I'm very happy to be here with. First of all, we have Stella from Oz. Hello, Stella. Good day. How are you going? We have Terry from Canary, our favorite mathematician. Hey, Terry. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> We have Kiel Thor. How are you, Kiel? I'm doing very well. Wonderful. And with us, we have a special guest, Dejohns or Daniel, um, who was with us before talking about some of the SBF crypto news um, as that was happening with, I don't even, honestly, I don't even remember his company. FTX. SBF. FTX. FTX. Thank you very much. <laughs> so yes, Daniel has been on with us before. He's gone over a lot of this. He His um, area of interest is crypto. And today we've asked him to come on to go over, you know, at a high level, what is happening in the financial sector? What is happening from, you know, a banking overview? And then what maybe some predictions are out there predictions that Daniel may have, as well as what does this mean for the crypto space? So I want to go ahead, hand it over to Daniel, and then any of the unknowns, feel free to chime in with any questions and we'll take it from there. All right. Thanks for having me again, guys. Um, so I guess I'll start out by just doing a rough summary of what's happened over the past uh, week or so. So last Friday, today's set. Okay, so yeah, a week ago yesterday, uh, there was a series of bank runs that started. Uh, the first one was with a bank called uh, Silvergate, which does primarily crypto banking, and they're basically all the big crypto companies had at least had an account with them there. And there, that run was caused uh, mostly because of the fallout of the collapses in the crypto space over the last year terra luna and celsius and ftx and all these a lot of these people had accounts with them or had loans out from them and they lost that money and haven't recouped it so they collapsed and uh fdic stepped in the federal insurance program that secures all the deposits they stepped in and took care over the business and uh secured all the depositors so depositors could get their money out then a few days later on Friday, a week ago Friday, uh, FDIC took over another bank. They took over Sig uh, Silicon Valley Bank in San Francisco. And this was a bank that worked primarily with tech startups in San Francisco. It wasn't a bank me or you could go start an account with. So these were mostly tech startups with large accounts. And most of them were not FDIC insured because FDIC insurance only goes up to $250,000. So if you have a million dollar account, only two hundred fifty grand of that's you know, uh, promise to be recovered. 
but F- FDIC stepped in and they ended up going an extra step and the Fed announced that they are going to uh, cover all deposits. So even the ones that are far exceeded $250,000. And then the day uh, this past Monday, a similar thing happened to another bank called Signature Bank, which also is big in crypto. So all three of these are in the crypto space, but uh, Signature and Silvergate specifically worked had a large like large por- percentage of their business came from crypto and signature bank actually had this uh basically uh crypto not trading platform i don't want to say trading platform it's a like a exchange uh a way for bank uh customers of their bank crypt these crypto firms and exchanges to trade their crypto for dollars really really quickly almost instantly i forget what they even call it the signature crypto i don't know anyways it was kind of a big deal amongst uh crypto companies because you know these big exchanges that need and companies that need to turn their crypto into cash on a daily basis to make payrolls and stuff like that they use this constantly so they stepped in and took that over and that one was a little more suspicious because they were having a high influx of withdrawals like they're getting billions of dollars withdrawn from them their experience a bank run but they had not had problems honoring all of the withdrawals. They were processing them all. Just, I wouldn't say just fine. They were, it was given, making them crunch and making them sell assets, but they definitely didn't. They were still giving people their money when they asked for it. And FDIC kind of just jumped in there and took over right away, which is very unusual. They did that with all three of these banks. Honestly, they jumped in and uh, took over very quickly. Whereas like in the t- 2008 collapse, It took weeks. They allowed the banks weeks and months to try to uh, sell shares and raise capital before FDIC stepped in and took over. But with all three of these banks, they stepped in uh, within days. And in Signature's case, they stepped in when they weren't even having any problems. And according to a bunch of the shareholders and uh, uh, the C, was it the CEO or CTO? I don't know. Several uh, higher ups at Signature all were. Uh, said they were surprised when FDIC shut them down and took them over because they were still trying to raise capital and they were still honoring all withdrawals and really had no reason to happen. Barney Frank himself said that he believed it was an attack on crypto, you know, which I'm not 100% sure about that. I mean, it could be, but it could be also the complete opposite. And I don't know. So just for, sorry, just for people listening, Barney Frank is the Frank in the Dodd Frank. Uh, yes bill yes that's that that's him yes <laughs> ironically i hadn't heard his name in a while and i didn't even realize he was associated with a signature bank before this but apparently he, he is yeah the, he had, was he was on the board wasn't he the signature yeah yeah he's on the board and apparently he owns a lot of it and i had never even realized that i hadn't even thought about that guy in a while so and the other question yeah, so, that i had was as far as who is related from the like the crypto um these platforms would that mean do you mean like um is it bitnex or bitfinex or um coinbase are those the the places that are potentially having issues with like switching crypto to cash immediately almost uh yeah, yeah. Well, Coinbase was definitely one of their customers, and they're also a customer of F- SVB. And yeah, they're one of the people that use that signature crypto network to cash money in and out. Bitfinex, I'm not 100% positive about. Bitfinex is a whole nother 
story. But most of the okay. other big exchanges, Kraken, Coinbase, you know, uh, Gemini, all these Binance, I'm sure uses them to some point, maybe not quite as much because they're offshore, but all the onshore regulated exchanges, you know, like Coinbase and Kraken and such, they all use these regularly. And then just like the um, trading firms like Three Arrows Capital and some of these other big trade and like Alameda Research was one of them earlier, but they're obviously collapsed with FTX. So, yeah, they use these to, you know, get crypto into cash and vice versa really quickly. So and which was a service that only Signature offered. So they uh, yeah, it was pretty significant. And there were and it really affected the crypto. This last weekend, the whole crypto space was like really losing it because the second largest stable coin, USDC, issued by a company called Circle, lost its dollar peg last Friday when it was revealed that they had. Well, they're open about their books. So USDC is so you can go on to their website and you can look at what banks they bank with and what specific assets. Like they actually show what specific assets they hold that's backing up this USDC coin. And uh, so everybody knew that they had accounts at Silicon Valley Bank. So in Silicon Valley Bank, start uh, was in, stopped processing withdrawals and it looked like they were going to fail. Everybody started rushing out of USDC and selling it for USDT, which is Tether. And mm -hmm. yeah, it went down to 85 cents, which is a really big deal because it represents a huge percent of, it's like 10% of the daily trading volume goes through USDC. It's nothing compared to Tether, which is a way bigger one, but it's the second biggest one. And lots of DeFi platforms use it and exchanges, obviously. And then lots of people just use it, especially in like third world countries and stuff. People use it for daily purchases and stuff just because it's cheaper and easier than getting dollars for them so it really caused shockwaves really but it came it uh, eventually regained its peg on sunday by sunday it was back to a dollar and especially now that they were able to withdraw their money because fdic came in and saved the day but that really sent shockwaves through the crypto space and it's kind of revealing that you know these stable coins that all of the crypto volume is traded in like 90 percent of Bitcoin and all crypto is bought or sold with a stable coin instead of U.S. dollars. You can use U.S. dollars if you use Coinbase or Kraken or a U.S. regulated exchange, but most of the volume is off on offshore unregulated exchanges like uh, Binance and stuff and Bitfinex, and those it's they don't accept dollars there, so those there is almost all in stable coins. And so that entire liquidity, all of the money coming in there is relying on these stable coins holding their peg. And the, the assets backing these stable coins are just the same assets banks hold. Like Tether and US yeah. and Circle, who who has USDC, they when the when somebody gives them money to buy USDT from them or USDC, they go and buy bonds or securities or do these short-term loans called commercial paper. They buy other assets with them. They don't just hold them in a bank. That's how they make money. It's the same way a bank does. You give them money, they buy bonds and treasuries, uh, sometimes even stocks and other things. And then they collect an interest off of those or collect dividends off of them, but they don't have to give those to you who gave them their cash. They get to keep those and you get to take their stable coin and go trade on these offshore exchanges with them or do whatever you're doing. So they work in the exact same way as a bank, but, and that is where all of the volume for it's coming. And if, you know, they, they can't honor their withdrawals of people trying to cash in their stable coins into cash, 
then the same thing can happen with them. They can have a run on the bank, not be able to sell. They hold some of these same 10-year bonds that gave uh, uh, that caused SVB to collapse. They USDC and Tether both hold those same exact things. So they could experience bank runs just like that, and that could yeah. be devastating to the crypto space, at least in the short term, and especially DeFi and things on like Ethereum and the decentralized exchanges and stuff like that, because they are 100% reliant on a decentralized exchange can't accept dollars. They have to have uh, stable coins. And so, and all these protocols where people are trading and lending money and uh, getting uh, leverage and speculating like crazy with millions of dollars is all dependent on that. And it's really a weak link in the chain of crypto that, you know, it's all ironically, all a lot of it's still dependent on the banking system. Okay. Yeah, can I, can I ask uh, something? Uh, can I please I'm ask? Sorry. Just... <laughs> we'll, we'll one of my comments. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm a total house freak when it comes to this stuff. So I'm just wanted to ask, do you think they're creating this so that they're creating a bank run situation so that that collapses the system? Is that what's happening here? I, mean, I don't make, think it's any can run to the bank or no. I, I think it, I don't think it's out of the question. I think it's definitely possible. They're in such a the Federal Reserve and the finance, just the entire economy is in such a fragile position with how bad inflation is. You know, they normally combat inflation by raising interest rates. But if they rate continue raising interest rates, you're going to see more of these banking collapses and stuff like that. And what's really suspicious about all of the about the banking situation specifically is that it's mainly affecting regional banks and smaller banks. And the big banks right now, the JP Morgans of the world, are all just getting tons of deposits right now because people are fleeing the smaller banks because the government has made a point of emphasis that they will step in and bail out banks if they consider it a systemic risk. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, just said yesterday, I believe it was, when there was representatives of smaller banks asking, like, if we uh, have the same thing happen to us, are you going to come in and bail are you guaranteeing us you're going to come in and bail us out like you did SVB up in San Francisco? And Yellen said, uh, no, we're not guaranteeing that at all. We get together and decide together whether it's a systemic risk to the broader uh, banking system. And if it is, then we will bail you out. So they're basically saying, no, the smaller banks, they might not get bailed out at all, which is causing people to flee those smaller banks into the bigger banks. And what else is really suspicious about this is back during Trump's presidency, I believe it was in 2018 or 2019, there was a big lobbying effort from not the entire industry, but lots of people in the industry, including the CFO, so Chief Financial Officer of Silicon Valley Bank. He was lobbying to have their reserve limits removed, which ended up happening. The... Federal, I don't know if they're blaming it on Trump, you know, but I honestly don't know if Trump had anything to do with it or had any say in this decision. But they did uh, change the regulation, allowing only regional banks, not smaller banks, regional banks that they considered weren't a systemic risk to others, to the broader industry. They allowed them to res remove their reserve limit completely so they didn't have to have any cash on hand at all. 
This was just a couple of years ago, and it was only for the smaller banks. So when one smaller bank starts doing it, you know, gets rid of their reserves and buys something they can make money off. Because when they're holding cash, they're not making any money off those cash. If they loan out that money, then they're making money off of it. Or if they buy bonds with it, then they'll get interest in the future and stuff like that. So the other banks, in order to compete, they all just, you know, followed suit. That's what happens one after the other. And they got rid of their reserves, which kind of put them in a prime position for this run that happened right now. So it's all very suspicious. And then the way that the CEO of SVB came out and announced, you know, made it all public that they were uh, in the hole for $2 billion and trying to raise capital. Usually when the stuff happens, you try to raise capital quietly and stuff like that. Yeah. Or you sell yeah, some of your fun. stock. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like he should know better. And then just their mistake of buying these 10-year bonds, it's kind of like it, anybody could tell any you know, person who reads the financial news every day could tell you that, you know, that there's always a chance that the federal raise interest rates. You don't make these 10 well, year yeah. long bets that will completely sink you. Uh, if... So I was going to say that's a generic problem with, with all banks at the moment, isn't it? They, a lot of their assets are held in these uh, fairly old bonds that have low interest rates and because interest rates yeah. have now gone up substantially. They're, they're not worth as much as they were previously because you can get better interest rates going elsewhere. So, I mean, you know, the generic problem with the banks, apart from the fact that the whole system's a bloody scam, obviously, is that they, the large proportion of their assets are in these things that they, on paper, you know, 10 years ago was worth a lot of money, is now not worth very much at all. So the bottom's fallen out of their assets. Yeah. And they should have, you, you know, you don't take a bet on something with an institution like this. You don't take a bet on something where if the bet goes against you, you lose everything. You know, that's what hedging is for. <laughs> that's what for buying puts yeah, and stuff well, is, yeah. you know, you don't <laughs> take if it's a bet that will completely destroy your business and you just don't take it. You take a, you take the same bet with a lot smaller capital, you know, that won't. So even if it goes wrong, that's what risk management is. It's where they sit down and say, OK, we're buying this or selling that. What is the absolute worst case scenario? Now, let's make sure we're still going to be able to survive as a company if that worst case scenario happens. And it seems like they completely ignored that. Apparently, they didn't have a chief risk officer for like nine months or something like that. Maybe it's six months. <laughs> Anyways, they didn't have it for months and months. And I don't know. It's all really suspicious to me. And it's really I, um, getting hurt. Can I remind you that the chief risk officer at Silicon Valley Bank was the, the one that was into all this diversity stuff. She was... Um, I think she had, you know, unusual pronouns and was doing all this diversity training. So uh, yeah, I saw a bunch thing. of their videos. She didn't and seem to be worrying about up. risk at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I don't yeah. know if that's just like a something that I'm suspicious of that too. That they're like blaming it all. Oh, they're just being too woke, so they were being too woke and messed all this up. I still mm. am suspicious mm. that they're that stupid, and that yeah. I think it's that's kind of something that they're playing off woke. of. It sounds like yeah. it's it's a move to consolidate power in the the few larger banks, you know. Mm. It's just a, a classic kind of kill off the, the smaller comp competition, consolidate power up top, and <laughs> then move on. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, they had, was it Kevin O'Leary or someone on CNBC yesterday? And he was saying, there's, oh, there's no need for small banks anymore. Why do we even have these small banks? Everybody should just be using these big ones, which is like, yeah, okay, there's yeah. your agenda being exposed right there. Yeah. Correct. And I would say that ultimately, 
in my opinion, and I'm, I know that I'm, I'm not as versed in the stuff as Daniel is, but I feel like I do at least have a grasp of the overall big picture, which is complete totalitarianism and control of every dime that you spend and every nickel that you earn. And that is going to serve a couple of purposes, but ultimately is for total control of your behavior. So that's going to keep you in line whenever you are under the threat of being debanked because you have an opinion that the powers that shouldn't be don't like. Um, so my, my personal thought on this was that I think that they are trying to cause the crash, right? We know that that's part of the great reset. You have to reset the system, meaning you have to bring it down a controlled demolition. If you will, we've seen that before. And then we know that they want us on a central bank digital currency. So once you do consolidate power up, that makes that that much easier. And the other thing that I wanted to chime in about the SVB situation was that I did hear that they had, um, I think it was an ESG score of like 95% or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So which for me, exactly. (laughs) Which reminds me of Sri Lanka. They had a very good ESG score or, you know, whatever that metric was, um, uh, and and I do think, yeah, it is suspicious. It's suspicious that that's kind of being brought up, rubbed into the faces. It's suspicious that this is all happening now. Um, it's a very weird situation. Now, before we move on, I I wanted to see if anyone else has any more questions on that kind of angle of it. Sela? Well, sort of. Um, talking about suspicious. I just wanted to reflect on the article that was um, that I posted to Discord earlier yesterday, um, how HSBC came in and bought the UK branch of the SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, and yeah, almost immediately it was on fire. It's burning. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Did you hear about that one, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, I think they bought it really cheap too, didn't they? I don't really know the details. I just, Which, I just it saw the outline. Kind of shows that they were able to sell a branch of uh, their bank so quickly that there might have been. They probably could have sold it. Or probably could have got some money together. You know, they didn't have mm-hmm. the FDIC didn't have to step in so quickly. Like I, mm-hmm. I believe the FDIC turned down some buy offers like after they took over as well. But the fact is, I mean, you don't just say that. Oh, there's no one to buy. You know, for us to sell sell to, so we can't raise the money on friday and then on monday sell after the government comes and takes it over then on monday say oh we sold a part of it like oh well clearly there was some buyers out there then like why didn't we give this a few more days why did we have to step in and bail them out and there are two you know ways to look at that you could say they are bailing them out to you know kind of stomp out the fire before it spreads because they know that this these same uh bonds and basically that this every bank is in the exact same situation as not the exact same situation not as extreme but all the banks are in similar situations as svb is they got these long bonds and other investments that aren't you know paying out enough to reimburse their customers right now if they experienced a bank run every bank in the country if they ever saw a bank run uh like svb would have issues and the other so they might just be trying to stop, you know, push, kick the can down the road so they don't have to deal with the financial collapse today, just making it worse tomorrow. Or you could look at it as, as they're trying to 
you know, incentivize that and spark the fear because it really did spark a lot of fear in people. Maybe if SVB would have been able to uh, sell some assets and raise some money, maybe there'd be less fear in the market right now, but there's tons in the banking sector and people are pouring their money out of the small banks and into the big ones. Yeah, well, the, uh, it's like you were saying, the thing with the signature thing was very fishy because the was it the CEO or the CFO was saying, well, we didn't really have a problem. We don't know what why the you know they came in and took us over because we were having no problems and paying out our money. Yeah, it, it's incredibly suspicious. And I believe the Fed, I couldn't find the article I read this in. I was trying to look at it before I got on here but i believe the fed is starting an investigation into fdic and their uh the way they went about taking over signature because it happened so quick it was like signatures having issues and a couple hours later fdic yeah, yeah. took over it's like what the hell yeah, yeah. how did the and so, so almost, it does make it and all the like crypto bros are like oh cool. oh go ahead i said i had to say so almost like it was scripted yeah and all the crypto bros you know they respond you know, as this is an attack on crypto, they're just trying to go after us, you know, in crypto rallies because of it. Bitcoin's had a heart really, is in a really strong uptrend right now. So, and which might be the appropriate response. I don't know if Bitcoin was built the way I wished it was, or not built, but uh, existed the way I wished it did, then it would, this exactly, it would pump when you, the banks had issues. But the problem is that 90% of crypto is bought with stable coins that are just the banks that are at risk of the very same things the banks are at. And you can't have 90% of the volume of the money being purchasing it with dry up overnight and then expect that not to affect it in the future. So, but, so if there are is a banking collapse, these stable coins are a huge risk for it. And that puts Bitcoin at risk for it, unfortunately. I wish that wasn't the case. I'm not a fan of stable coins. If you haven't picked that up, yeah, I wish I, that was, I was the case, ask, but can I ask you a question about that? Do, do you think this undermines the whole idea of stable coins? Because you know, stable coins should be stable, right? And they've not really been very stable yeah. recently because of all these problems. So does that undermine yeah, the whole it, idea, in your opinion? Yes, I one hundred percent believe it does. Because the the entire idea of Bitcoin is not to depend on the government and their economy is fake and their money's fake and gonna it's all gonna blow up in their face one day. But when you're these when you're using these stable coins they're using those that they're literally backed by government debt like the majority of it is in bonds just like a bank has so that debt that is back that money backing up those stable coins is literally dependent on the success of the u.s government if the government can't if the government defaults on its loans on its bonds then that money isn't there you know the money's not it that's backing up those stable coins aren't there and if people try to go get their cash they won't have them anymore so it's completely, it's an oxymoron, really, the way people talk about Bitcoin and then use Tether to buy it or use USDC to buy it. And it just may, it's all dependent on the banking system still. They're literally government bought. Your money you are buying Bitcoin with is backed by government debt. Nobody in the beginning of Bitcoin was like, oh, we're going to have a coin that's backed by debt. You know, that's the entire opposite. We thought that so this economy is backed by debt. Money is created and put into circulation by debt. We're trying to do the opposite thing. But after it only took a few years before someone was like, well, let's just, you know, start a stable coin and buy a bunch of government debt with it and then purchase all of our crypto in that. So, but yeah, that's what, if you have, if you have bonds, that means it's inherently dependent on the government's success and their government's ability to tax and 
uh, inflate money to pay pay off those bonds when they come to maturity. So it's just completely, I mean, it's outrageous that there's not more of a, you know, more people in crypto raging against it. There are plenty of people, you know, lots of people have been exposing Tether for a long time and criticizing them, but not enough. So does anybody else have any more questions on that part of the discussion? Because I don't want to leave anybody out, but I do want to add, I do want to maybe shift the gear a little bit then. So we have the overall, we have some of the, you know, the, the issues with the system. What does this mean for the average person, Daniel? And I know we talked about it. You, you're not saying that you're an expert. You're not saying that you can predict the future. I totally understand that. I just wanted to have the discussion about what you're thinking based on what you do know, you know, your educated, um, assessment of what does this mean for the regular person? And, you know, is there anything that they can do to, you know, protect themselves? Well, I don't think this is going to, or at least anytime soon, there's going to be a situation where average everyday depositors aren't going to be able to get their money out of the bank. I don't think that's coming, well, at least not anytime soon. I think the government's going to print the money (laughs) to, you know, take care of it all. No matter how they do it, they got lots of ways to print money. They could be saying it's, they're not printing money to bail people out. But in the end, if you look at when the Fed's taking on, the Fed is increasing their balance sheet. When the Fed buys stuff up, they print that money to buy that stuff with. So it's just inherently whenever they're stepping in to buy stuff, they are going to be printing money. And so one way or another, they're going to print money to pay this. What's going to happen is it's going to lose its purchasing power. This inflation isn't going anywhere. It's like I'm, I mean, I guess I'm not an expert. I can't predict the future, but I don't expect inflation to be at 2% ever, like maybe ever again. I think right, we're at 5% or above. That's what I was going to ask because, okay, so let's say that they're like, we're not going to let the entire banking system collapse. We're not ready for that, but we're just going to keep printing into oblivion. Okay, fine. But runaway inflation in being in a hyperinflationary environment is also not good um, for the average person. And obviously they don't care about the average person, but is there, but if, if they don't care about the average person and they don't care about the fallout and the impact, then why not just let the banks collapse? Like what is even the difference at a, at a certain point? Like, okay, so inflation is 200% hypothetically in, in certain scenarios, 200%, whatever, or you don't have any money. What's the difference? They already took your money with inflation. Well, they would, they would have riots, you know? Right. Yeah. Big thing. The best part about in, uh, inflation for the, you know, the establishment, the banking establishment and the go- or government officials in general, go- uh, politicians, the best thing about inf- using inflation to cause problems is that the out uh, the uh, blowback from it isn't apparent immediately. Whereas if they don't bail out these banks and the banking system collapses overnight and people can't get their money out, then mm-hmm. that is then everybody looks at the politicians and say, what the hell did you just do? You just caused this. Whereas printing Great money point. is a gradual, gradual uh, process that they can blame on a million other things. Look what they've been saying over the last two years. Inflation is just, you know, companies being greedy and stuff like that or the Putin price hike. They find it's confusing. <laughs> First of all, people can't understand people. Most people don't really understand what's causing this. I mean, you can explain it. They make it confusing as 
they may, with economics especially they make it way more confusing than it really needs to be basically what everyone needs to understand is that but even a five-year-old can understand that you know if you have a you know a cake you can't just cut the cake into smaller pieces and say you're going to have you have more of it now you know it's the same amount but they just keep printing the money so the mm. five-year-old can understand why printing money isn't a bad thing but then they use all this confusing modern monetary theory jargon to uh you know convince them they're too stupid to understand what's going on and i think a lot of these economic you know these people that went to ivy league economics programs i think they're convinced themselves of their nonsense too they've spent so much time focusing on like these little numbers and data points trying to like construct the perfect little economy from a centralized place that they haven't stepped back and noticed the obvious stuff which is what like austrian economics more is an observable you know that's what austrian economics is based on it's like your observable uh things you can observe and take note of whereas you know a lot of these keynesians want to get down in the numbers and try to look at all these integral little data points but the economy is everybody acting independent every day you know you going outside and watering your lawn is part of the economy you know just every little interaction there's no way to calculate every interaction humans have exchanging money goods time everything they do to build a modern economy there's no way to account for all of that and control it from a centralized point that's why centralized economies will never they will never be as productive as you know a free economy and they will almost always end in you know these these same problems so yeah they'll print out the money before they collapse the banking system so that they can put it off their shoulders and also they have the other backstop being the united states dollar especially because we don't realize how much of a privilege i mean i know this might sound strange but we really are privileged in the world to have the united states dollar because if you think our inflation has been bad over the last few years it is nothing compared to the rest of the world in fact if you look at a you know a chart there's uh it's what's called the dxy the dollar currency index which is basically the dollar it's not like the dollar's purchasing power it's the dollar's value worth against other world currencies you know the yen and the ruble and peso and everything else and if you look at that chart for the last straight years it has gone straight up when you listen to like technical traders and stuff they're talking about the strong dollar over the last few years like oh there's all this dollar strength blah blah when you're when you're as a consumer like what the hell are they talking about dollar strength it's completely weak what they're talking about is the fact that it's worth more against other currencies because all the other currencies are inflating far faster than ours so being the world reserve currency we're really in a pri privileged uh privileged space where everybody in the world needs to buy our dollars in order to get the products they need especially with the petrodollar which might be going away you know they the chinese and russians have been making some moves against that and buying in other currencies and stuff but just the fact that everybody has to have these dollars and then also everybody's interested in keeping those dollars valuable since everybody is using them that puts the selling pressure on all the other currencies they convert their currencies into the dollar to you know hold it and then lots of countries use it el salvador and lot, lots of small countries don't even have a currency they use the dollar mm -hmm. and that is a really privileged place to be because we can print money and not feel the full fall like if we were printing the money at the rate we were the last three years without having the status as the world reserve currency we would be experiencing true hyperinflation where our money is worth you know 20 percent of what it was a year ago and stuff like that it's being propped up by its position as uh the reserve currency of the world and if it loses that status it could be catastrophic which is might explain a lot of our poor foreign policy decisions over the past years as <laughs> you know a china uh, china russia iran and these places are moving away from the dollar 
then, you know, that could be catastrophic for everything that the United States empire tries to accomplish. I think, thank you for that. I think Stella had a question, um, unless that was answered, Stella, do you have? Uh, look, I'm such a noob. I don't even know if my question's valid, but, um, do you think that that's what they, you know, big T they, uh, that are controlling all this and trying to get us onto digital currency is, is let's just put the control thing aside for a moment. Do you think that, like you're saying that everything that we do is going to affect the economy and that's impossible to predict because everyone does different things every day. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a possibility? Is there a, a perfect economy? I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Is there a, a scenario that there could ever be a perfect economy? And is the closest thing to a perfect economy complete control so that they can then, let's just say if they were had a good intentions, um, they could then control everything so that everything balanced up properly? Is that a valid question? Is well, yes, I believe they they believe that they believe they could, you know, if they just fudge numbers, adjust interest rate, print some money over here, adjust interest rates over here, they can eventually achieve like, you know, perfect equilibrium. But it's just not true at all. I mean, there's really you can't really define a perfect economy because economies are just humans interacting with each other. And my definition of perfect would be different than yours. You know, there's people out there who are, you know, Amish people that don't believe in these big cities you know, big, huge cities, all this technology and stuff like that. So their perfect economy would have nothing to do with that. We'd all be out there cutting our hay with a scythe, you know, and <laughs> selling it to each other like that. That's their perfect economy, but that's not my perfect economy. So that's what people have, like, uh, economy isn't an entity. It's really just, that's why Mises, Ludwig von Mises, his, uh, you know, treatise on economics was called human action. That's what it's called because he, that's his definition of eco uh, economics is just humans acting acting in their they're acting in their so own self-interest and just interacting with it like that so they do then these you know powers of be do believe they can you know achieve perfect order that's what ultimately what they're looking for is their definition of order you know mm. and they believe they can accomplish that by having complete control of the money and uh they were going to use this, you know, was saying, you know, if we have centralized control of the money, we just have a CBDC or something, or if the there's just a handful of banks that the Fed directly oversees, and we can always be there checking their reserve requirements, always be in there making sure they're making responsible decisions, and, you know, track exactly where their money's going and stuff like that. So I'm sure they believe that, but it's just, it's an economic, when you or someone who, you know, uh, believes in Austrian economics, as I do, then you know that that's an impossibility. So... And it generally just makes things worse for more people as you try to make things better for more people, if that's really what they even want. But Yeah, a perfect economy, in my opinion, is perfectly free, you know? Yeah. Across the board. People making their own decisions. Right. And life would be more expectedly better. I mean, if you just look at areas that, you know, the government has control over versus areas that are privatized, just go to a, just go to your local bar. And compare yeah. that to, you know, a public alley or something like that. The bar has all these yeah. drunk guys and stuff, but you still feel perfectly safe in there because they got their private security. If anyone's going to mess with you, you know, those security guards going to be right there yanking them out and stuff. And they want you to be there because they're paying you. Whereas when you're in an alley, you know, that's or anywhere that the government's protecting, even just a downtown in a city now, you got needles on the floor and people you know, trying to fight you and everything else. And your security is a cop that's probably 20 minutes away 
that you're not paying specifically. It makes the same amount of money whether you're there or not. So he doesn't have a huge incentive to go there. Or just look at a a, a private uh, community, you know, that has their own security. There's like these private communities in L.A., which right outside the gate, it's a freaking war zone. Inside the gate, it's freaking great. <laughs> you know, there's no mm -hmm. messing with anything. There's a guy in a golf cart cruising around with a taser on his hip and everything's fine. And I imagine a world, like a totally free world and a totally free economy where we didn't have state state security via police, you know. I imagined, you know, if you build a housing development, then, you know, you provide the security there because you want people to come in there and live there. Or if you mm -hmm. build a big shopping center, you know, why does the taxpayer base as a whole have to pay for the security of walmart or something you know they should have their own security they should protect their own block and it's usually walmart next to a sears next to a you know carl's jr and stuff like that like why is it the police's jobs and the taxpayers job to pay those police to keep that area safe why don't those people who own that land who are making millions of dollars from the stores on that land, why don't they build the roads? Why don't they provide the security? And when you look at when these private companies provide security, it's always a million times better. Yep. So I guess that's yeah. not really, I don't even know how I got there. Sorry, we're off topic Amen. now. Amen. No, that's, that's a great, that's great. I, <laughs> yes, I love that because one thing that I, I think that you, t you speak at a very high level. So it's helpful for me to hear it broken down in terms of that of Austrian economics. Okay. Here is a real world example that we can all understand exactly what you're saying. I think that's great. And I thought Stella's question was very good. Um, now I don't want to cut off Terry or Kill if they have a question, so you can get to them first, but I do want to ask, okay, so what, what could this mean for the central bank digital currency? Like if there's nothing to back it up, if there's just nothing, then how, like how can it exist i don't know like i feel dumb saying it this way but it just it makes no sense it like makes my head explode to think like okay it's backed by debt what does that what does that even mean like if they just say it's central bank digital currency it's almost like it, it reminds me of being in an arcade and you just get some tokens mm. you know yeah, or, like mean, here, here's your, your pittance yeah, but at least the tokens are backed up by the fact you can go put them in a game and have fun for a few seconds. But yeah, the dollar is not backed now. The, what the dollar is... Right. Well, what the dollar, to be honest, what the dollar is backed by is the United States military and the United States empire. Yes. You know, so that's what keeps everybody accepting it. And the fact that the government uses force to force you to pay your taxes in dollars every year, that's what backs it. Even if everybody you know, stopped, everybody started using Bitcoin to make purchases every day and never use the dollar, tax season, you still got to buy some dollars so you could pay the government, you know, and that's what it's backed by. So it's the violence of the government where people being taxed and people paying fines and people being, and businesses being regulated and stuff like that, they have to have those dollars to pay the government. So it does have that value in that sense, but there is nothing backing it now, even, you know, and there won't be if they have essentially bet. Uh, you know, a CBDC. And it is, it's, I mean, it's, it can sound complex, but it's really as simple as you made. There's nothing backing it. It's just the will and the faith and the violence, you know, of the people as a whole. So it's just that we've all decided that we're okay accepting these and, but there's really nothing there. So yeah, a token at a Chuck E. Cheese is, you know, relevant. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> so it's very, it um, really makes my head explode. Right. Yeah. I pitch in a couple of things. Uh, he's right. The, the 
currencies in general aren't backed by anything. And so um, technically the CBDC will be no different other than the fact they will be anti-freedom and tracking you completely. I, yeah. I wanted to make a quick comment about hyperinflation, which we were talking about a little while ago. Uh, and this will link back to my favourite subject of COVID. There was a really important document that was produced by BlackRock in September 2019. And they said, basically, we haven't solved the financial problems from 2008, 2009. Uh, and we need to do something about it. And, and what we need to do is go direct to the people and, and pay money directly to the people bypassing you know the banks which is obviously what they did during covid with the you mm -hmm. know the, the stimmy checks but they also mm -hmm. said and i only found this out recently they said we can't we can't do this without shutting down the economy by which they mean shops you know so they they and they, i think this is where the idea for lockdowns came from they wanted to stop people going to shops and stimulating the economy with all this extra money they were creating in order to avoid hyperinflation. But now that that's easing off, I think uh, that is more of a danger than it was back then. So That's uh, interesting. Yeah. I have not seen that from BlackRock. It's a really interesting document, Daniel. You would love it. You should, you should say, I'll try and find a link and post it on Discord. Yeah, yeah, send it to me if you can find it. Yeah, and we'll put it in the yeah. show notes as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, go for it. Daniel, do you think there's any chance that CBDC will somehow not be implemented? Do we do we have any chance at all of that failing or not coming to fruition? Or is it a definite thing, do you think? Yes. No, I believe it's definite. Like, especially in its literal literal sense, because CBD stands, CBDC stand, C stands for uh, Central Bank Digital Currency. Mm -hmm. And I do believe there's a possibility it won't happen or it will be something. This is a theory. I was talking about it on uh, Monica Perez on with Monica Perez uh, to have a theory that, you know, the CBDC might not be come from the central bank. It might be privatized. And also something we have to remember is, you know, a lot of times when we talk, you know, in these, you know, calling them they and them, the group, you know, when we talk about them, the people doing this, power to be, what do you always say? We tend to speak about them like they're a centralized group, but there really is a lot of, con I mean, there are centralized groups in there, but I believe that there's competition amongst, you know, these elites and stuff like that for, but, you know, that's just like, a, you know, gangs that run a city, you know, there is some sort of cooperation amongst them. They don't go into other people's territories. They don't just go to the cops and tell them exactly what the other gang's doing and stuff like that. They don't shoot people, you know, they don't kill each other until there's a gang war and they get the green light to go and do it. I think it operates something like that. And there's a okay. lot of interests that do not want a CBDC, like banks in general, like, for example, these regional banks that are just going down. Because if there is a true CBDC that is issued by the central bank, the Federal Reserve, then that gets rid of any need for banks in general. Then you just have the one bank. And I think mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of banking interests that don't want that. They like being the enemy intermediary. They like being the middleman. And so I think there is some resistance to it on that level. And then also there's lots of resistance to it just from the people at large. It's something that a lot of like, you know, the left wing Occupy Wall Street crowd can agree on. And then also libertarian the most right-wingers are not a fan of it but i think it's possible because if you look at a lot of things they try to implement like like for example the cia tried putting out this big uh what was it called before facebook 
I don't know, this big spine Life apparatus. Log. Life, Life log. log, there it is. Yeah, right. they tried, light, you know, they experimented with Life Log, but what did they end up going with? They ended up having a private company open, whether you didn't think it was, you know, organic or not, that Mark Zuckerberg just, you know, made this great company or whatever. They didn't, you know, it's way less of a headache to let Facebook do it all and get people to voluntarily go and sign up there and make it seem all <laughs> cool and hip and get get people to go post like every aspect of their day on there to gather all this information than it would be to have one just from the CIA. And then same with banking, you know, the Federal Reserve is a private bank when they wanted to, you know, take control of the money, they didn't start a government bureaucracy to do it. They Well, in that case, it's a quasi one, you know, but it's still private interests that take over that. And lots of these things they try to accomplish, they don't accomplish via a bureaucracy through the government. A lot of times they uh, will allow, you know, an uh, anointed so a company that they put their rubber stamp on to step in and fill that because then they don't have to deal with the, you know, the pesky constitution and Congress and stuff like that because it's just a private company doing that. And that's okay. why I'm really suspicious of a lot of these stable coins. Uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but I just had inspiration taking hopefully a page out of Monica's book, our pod mother. And I want to coin a term sneaky fascism because you don't even huh? realize, like we didn't realize that that's what it is, but that's exactly what it is. I realized it. You realized <laughs> that, that Facebook cool was I a like government it. entity back in 2004. Absolutely. There were some people out there. I never signed up. The hillbillies <laughs> with their guns and stuff out there. They were suspicious of Facebook from day one. They knew the government. The government's watching that shit. I know they are. Okay, fair. So, I did. I didn't. Um, but no, I didn't either. I'm. I'm going with sneaky fascism. Now, the other thing that I wanted to say was, as far as the central bank digital currency, that's actually a a very good point that I hadn't considered, but once you said it, I did have someone that I thought could be, um, a, a potential offer of that, which could be like an Elon Musk figure because he is getting the data from Twitter. He's involved in open AI. He was involved in, you know, PayPal, obviously. So he has some of that financial background. He's already involved with the government as far as getting those contracts, SpaceX, NASA, et cetera. And then he has discussed the everything app similar to like a WeChat in um, China as well. So yeah. that, that makes a ton of sense. That's, I don't know. I just haven't yeah, thought third about it. A company, yeah, a company like Twitter or something starting an everything app like WeChat and then just following all the government regulations that they throw down on them where the government can access that information anytime they want, even if they don't already have a backdoor into it, they can always just subpoena or something like that, you know, and they'll accomplish all the same things. And the stable coins we have in existence right now, so a lot of people look at them as a cryptocurrency, like, oh, it's a cryptocurrency that's pegged to a dollar. You know, it's just like Bitcoin, but it's worth a dollar, but it's really not. It's issued by a centralized company and a for-profit company, you know, and they, uh, they have complete control of it. Like if you have Tether or USDC or any of the centralized stable coins, there are some decentralized ones that I'd have to get into technicals to explain those to you. I don't, there, I wouldn't suggest them either. They're, I don't know, they're experiments basically, you know, but the two big ones like USDC and Tether, if you have some of those in your 
you know, pull, personal wallet that you have downloaded to your uh, PC, your phone or whatever that you're running, you're completely yourself, you have the seed phrase for it. And so, you know, you could be using Ethereum wallet, MetaMask or something like that. If you have Ethereum in that wallet, you have control over that Ethereum. Nobody can go and take that out without, you know, either your seed phrase being compromised or you doing it yourself or something. But with Tether, they could literally freeze your funds in that wallet or they could just delete them. They create and they burn and mint tether on a daily basis, mm. and so and they can and when the when somebody steals a bunch of tether or they shut down a drug website, and that's one of the sellers on there converted their money into tether, the government just sends tether a subpoena and they seize the coins, and they burn it. They either take them back or they destroy it. Wow. So and they're all on a blockchain because they're issued. They don't have their own blockchains. They're issued on other blockchains like Ethereum or Avalanche or Solana. These types of blockchains that allow you to create tokens on them. Uh, so you can, when you create a token on one of those blockchains, you can make it do whatever you want. You know, I even show the example on Monica's show where I talked about uh, the scam token that came out like a year ago called Squid Games or whenever that TV show was popular. It was called mm -hmm. Squid Games. And they literally wrote this contract so you could buy this token, but you couldn't sell it. And these guys made off with millions of dollars in like a week or so. But it just shows you can do anything with these things. And they're still broadcast to a blockchain. You can still go see where the transactions are going. But if the person who wrote that contract put something malicious in there, they could do anything with it. Hmm. And that's what these tokens, table coins are. They're just tokens on these blockchains. And they can mint them. They do. They mint them. And just So when the company goes, when an institution goes to Tether and says, I need $100 million worth of Tether, here's $100 million. They, you know, they take the $100 million in cash and they make print a hundred million dollars in tether and send it over to them and when somebody comes and wants their dollars back they give them tether and they want their dollars back then they destroy those tethers or at least that's what they say they do i'm incredibly suspicious that they don't have near as much money behind tether as they claim to be because it's like 60 billion dollars or something like that that tethers and circulations so they should have 60 billion dollars in reserves but i don't believe that they do because tether mm. does not share their that information at all USDC does. That's why USD is kind of ironic. The reason USDC had a run on its coin and why it lost its peg was specifically because it was open with its books and everybody knew where all their money was. Tether doesn't tell any, doesn't share their banking partners or what they bought specifically at all. So everybody knew that uh, Circle for USDC had money in SVB. So once they saw SVB not honoring deposits, everybody was trying to get out of USDC because I was backing it, but nobody knew where Tether's money was. So we don't know if their bank was having a run on it because we don't know who the hell they use. We know one of their banks down in the Bahamas that's super sketchy. That's the one that FTX used. It's called uh, Del Deltec Bank. They're a super sketchy bank. It's uh, ran by the guy who uh, created Inspector Gadget, ironically. What? <laughs> yeah, the guy who's the F it was the same for FTS Bank. Yeah, FTX's bank in the bahamas and he was the guy the reason ftx is in the bahamas is because this guy bought a bank and then he lobbied to have the bahamas make uh lax crypto and financial laws like he paid off the government to allow him to allow all these uh shady offshore exchanges and crypto companies to come there and that's why ftx was there in the first place and yeah the bank's called deltec and the guy is a french dude and he used to own an animation studio but the only cartoon I recognized off the list of cartoons he made was uh, Inspector Gadget. Yeah, that's, that's blowing him. my mind. Bruno, Bruno Bianchi? Right. This is sometimes... 
um, sometimes I think about this as a subject that we can get into and discuss, but what is the earliest propaganda you remember getting? And I have a ton of it from, you know, elementary school all the way through of these examples in my life or like predictive programming and things like that. But I, I never thought that inspector gadget, I used to love that cartoon as a kid was like, that's like the technocracy, you know, that's like the, the transhumanist stuff. Yeah. The transhumanist inspector gadget was awesome, but yeah, that's total transhumanism. That's what it is. Whoa. And yeah, he was the one he's got a, yeah. These, if you go to their Dell tech bank, there in the Bahamas, they got like the Spectre Gadget posters up on the wall and stuff. <laughs> it's weird, story. and yeah, that's the bank. That, yeah, that's who FTX used, and that's who also who I don't know if you heard the story about FTX buying that tiny, tiny bank in Washington. I think it was called Farmington something bank. It was a tiny bank that had like a few, few million dollars in deposits. Well, him and he was the guy who was buying that bank with Sam Bankman Freed because they were trying to set up banking operations in the United States because they were having problems finding banks in the United States that would work with them. So they're just trying to buy one and do it themselves. But everything blew up on them before they could. Yeah, he's an interesting character. And Dell Tech Bank is just interesting. They've been accused of, uh, or they might have even paid fines too for money laundering for the cartels and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, they're an interesting bank. They're called Dell Tech. And that's who Tether works with. His name is Jean Chalopin. Yeah, right. yeah, that guy's French, so I didn't know how to pronounce it. I was only reading it. He's he, an interesting dude. If you look a picture of him, and I I didn't know about any of this that you're just saying, but he he strangely to me looks just like uh, John Lennon. He does kind of look like John Lennon. Mm. That is funny. It's another one for the conspiracy theorists. Right? Maybe he is John Lennon. Yeah, I don't know about that. Stop playing music. (laughs) Faked his death so he could go uh, launder money for the cartels (laughs) (laughs) and the CIA. And when you see the cartel, like I'm always suspicious of any bank that's laundering money for the cartels. So I'm like, okay, are you laundering money for the CIA too, or is it the cartels the CIA doesn't like? Because that's really the question. The ones they do like and they work with, or is it the one they don't like? Operations. Yeah, exactly. The big banks have been have been fingered for that at some point or another oh yeah and crazy manipulate you know things they get away with and like their ass price manipulations on like gold there's a lot of evidence that they've been you know messing with the price of gold and silver for decades now gregory Gregory manorino calls them out all the time sorry terry go ahead Gold and, gold and silver should be at a much higher price than it is at the moment. It's, it's been heavily manipulated, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where does gold sit at the moment? Like, just that you, we're saying that. Oh, it's been going crazy the last week. It's I don't mean in a value way. I don't mean in a per kilo way or whatever. Per, what is it? Um, I just mean, like, where does it sit? The economy used to be based on gold, obviously, and then. Kissinger converted the whole thing to the petrodollar or had something to do with it. Um, yeah. So where does gold sort of sit now? I mean, as far as I know, the, you know, the, the thems are buying a lot of gold and there's a lot of gold being stored in the Vatican and all that sort of thing. But what's happening with gold? Like, how is that going to be used? Gold spree. Yeah, actually, um, the, I don't know if you heard, but just recently the Perth Mint here in Australia 
the Perth Mint uh, have just been exposed. Uh, oh, for I saw that. Three years, yeah, yeah, selling um, inferior, well, higher, higher percentage of silver in the gold, apparently. So, um, yeah, which is great because Perth Mint is like one of the big ones. Yeah, yeah, and I did. I did wonder whether um, that was kind of almost orchestrated to make people nervous about buying gold with that. Yeah, that well, they did say it was like a. Mis- I'm trying to remember. It's been a couple weeks since I read about that, but. I, I believe they were saying it was like an honest mistake on their part and they were having they was some problems with their equipment. So I too was it's, really suspicious of that. I'm like, cause it, Perth is like, it's one of like three. It's not three the first time name. either. It's not the first time they've been done for something. I remember oh, a few no. years ago, there was something else that happened. I wasn't tuned in at all though. Yeah. But I believe this one was like on a much larger scale. If I remember correctly, this was mm. a big one. It was pretty big. Yeah, yeah. There's always been a problem with diluting gold and stuff, but it's harder can I, these can days. Can I say something about this? Uh, Russia and China have been buying up gold uh, in particular mm-hmm. for for many years. And uh, there's been a strong rumour for a while knocking around that the BRICS countries are going to be coming up with a, a gold-backed currency as an alternative to the dollar. And and because the, Russia in particular have been excluded from the uh, SWIFT system, so they're trying mm-hmm. to come up with some alternative. Yeah, you know, they've been loving lately. It doesn't seem oh, to me ahead. like would it be would it really be that hard for the BRICS countries to just completely ignore the dollar? I mean, can't they just deal with their own currencies? Why is it always so difficult to break from the? Well, it's, I think it's like Daniel was saying, you know, because the U.S. dollar is a the global reserve currency, it's, it's quite difficult to get away from, and uh, historically they. Russia, uh, um, let's just take Russia as an example. They had a lot of dollar, uh, dollar-backed securities and, and assets, and then mm. because of the, the the war in Ukraine, they were sh- sort of shut off from a lot of that. So they they've been looking for an alternative system. So that's why I think they're one of the prime movers behind this BRICS idea of, of a gold-backed currency. Yeah, they can they can do it. I don't think it's easy. Oh, yeah, go ahead. The ruble's been doing really well, though, hasn't it, recently? Oh, yeah. Initially on the war, it like dumped like crazy, but it rallied back harder. Uh, it's stronger than before. It's been a few months since I've looked at it. But no, it was doing very well. And uh, like they can get rid of the dollar. I don't think it's easy. But yeah, the amount, the territory, you know, that those countries control have all the resources really they need. And with China, you know, being an ally of China, they have access to their technological resource. Because a, a lot of the economy and a lot is dependent on uh, chips, you know, uh, processors out of China mm. and Taiwan and these other places. That's why Taiwan's also a very important player. I think that's where the United States gets most of their computer chips from, you know. Yeah. And if something, something happened to Taiwan, China invaded it or there's a war there, that could really put a hamper because like all of our electrical grids and internet grids and stuff like that rely on just and our cars nowadays too because everything relies on those and a lot of them need upgrade up, updated and upgraded regularly so you can't just it's not like an industry you can turn off for a couple of years and expect things to keep going normally because everything's controlled by these damn chips and taiwan's where i mean china and taiwan's where they all come from the united states gets most of theirs from taiwan you know other countries russia and stuff gets most of theirs from china so they have everything they need 
not everything, I guess, but they can step away from the dollar. And I think that's what they're doing. But I don't think it's easy by any means, just because the economy is so the world economy is so intertwined and stuff like just like yeah. simple things like there was some they were at when they're dealing with the uh, the Nord Stream explosion they were or not the Nord Stream explosion, the bridge Crimean bridge. They were waiting to get that built because they were waiting on something out of Canada and it was sanctioned against them. Mm-hmm to get that built and stuff like that. I was like, really? For some, for a bridge, they're waiting out of Canada to get that on? But it's just like, you don't realize how integrated the world economy is until you try like saying, okay, well, I'm only going to use stuff from this region. And then you're like, oh crap, you know, certain countries do certain, specialize in certain things for good reasons, you know? And uh, it's cheaper to do, th- you know, it's cheaper to rate grow bananas in other countries than it would be well i mean you can't even do it in the united states but you know what i mean it's cheaper to do things in different countries than it is and that's why i guess i guess i just mentioned it because it seems like they've been talking about that for decades you know other countries whoever you know it's like yeah fucking do it already you know dump dump the dollar Mm -hmm. see what happens i I don't know i just well something they could do problem is the problem is that when countries try to do that, the U.S. military comes in and bombs the yeah. shit out of them. Which yeah, is bringing them some the democracy. Inflicting peace. Yeah, yeah, I did actually. Um, was was it Taiwan where Pelosi just did that little fly in, fly out? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, because she bought up the yeah. buying shares in the uh, chip industry or something or other. Yeah, because mm. um, the future with digital currency. I mean. That's going to be an immense, an immense um, system of servers that's going to be required for all this this uh, information and an immense amount of chips ongoing, unless, of course, they yeah. come up with some sort of new system of technology. But, uh, yeah, that's okay. Thank you. I thought it was Taiwan. Mm. Yeah, I don't, expect, move, I, don't ex- <laughs> I don't ever expect them to, like purposely cut off cut us off from chips and from the internet and stuff like that a lot of people like criticize you know like cryptocurrencies especially privacy coins like oh if everything's ever got that bad they just shut down the internet or something like that and i think they will never shut down the internet that is how they control that's how they monitor and that's how i mean i think they want to close it off wall it off where you only have access to these certain websites and certain Mm -hmm. information i think that's what they want but as long as they're still maintaining those wires underneath the ocean, connecting us to each other, people, you know, like the guys building Linux programs, the guys building VPNs and the guys over at Pirate Chain and Monero building these, they're going to figure out ways to do it privately. You know, they can fight as hard against us. They can make it, you know, privacy coins illegal. They make it illegal for us to interact with each other. And we'll just build new software that does. We'll build our own software. We'll use open source code and we'll do our own things. They were never even able to... They were never even able to get us to stop stealing music off the internet. Do you know what ended pirating? I mean, you could still technically pirating, but pirate music off, you know, uh, BitTorrent or whatever. But nobody does it anymore. Do you know why? Because the market gave a better solution and they came out with Spotify. They spent millions and millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars, trying to stop piracy online and they could not stop it. The people doing it were always one step ahead. And that's like going to be the same. And that's why I find it so important to support, you know, people building privacy tools and open source software. So as they try to lock us into this matrix, you know, it's kind of like the guys on the matrix. They still have access to their, you know, little chair that sucks them in there so they can go and do missions and stuff like that. But they can get in and out of it when the other guys can't, you know, and that's what I feel like, 
you know, these privacy coins and the people building privacy technologies and privacy operating systems. I think that's what they're building that chair so we can get in and out of the matrix and still exist in that world and still send, you know, we have, we're going to, they're trying to trap us in there, but these are our little entry points out or where we can still use them or when we're forced to use them, we can still use them both some privacy. And so even if you don't use these privacy tools now or open source software now, I think there's going to be a day where you're happy they exist, you know? And even if we never use them here in America, things could get bad in other places, you know, in Russia and Ukraine, there's people buying Monero to get out of there. You know, so the, the Russian guy, they're trying to conscript, get conscripts in Russia. People were fleeing Russia and they were putting their money in Monero, getting out of the country, then selling it for whatever local currency when they got where they were going. Just stuff like that. You know, it doesn't have to be doesn't Monero doesn't have to be the central currency of the world to, you know, still be an amazing tool that can help us in great good in situations, you know. That's a white pill. Sorry, I love go that. on my privacy rant. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I, I like that. And I like that there's, um, you know, the message of like, you're not going to stomp out the human spirit as much as you try to do it in every scenario where things are prohibited. It never works. It never has worked mm -hmm. on anything. So that that's a positive. Yeah, it all goes back to Austrian economics when these central, these centralized authorities cannot you know, do the math for all the variables and the human condition and the human heart and soul and our love for our fellow human beings and our ambitions to be in a better place than we were a year ago and stuff like that are in uh, just our ambitions. They can't they can't calculate all this and they will fail trying to. Like, That's, they what trying to they That's what they're trying to stop yeah, out. That's what they're trying to stop out, isn't it? They're trying to kill our spirit. They're trying to kill, mm -hmm. you know, our independence. They're trying to fill us up with more fear so we become more selfish i guess um stop yeah. the interaction yeah it's very yes but it will fail in the end i mean they might be able to create some matrix or some totalitarian fascist place but it will eventually fail you know it might take longer than we want it to but it, they just they these people are insane they cannot control everything they are not as smart as they think they are mm -hmm. they're not as all powerful as they think they are and satan does not have their back as much as they think he does they're never going to like, even if they can make life miserable for a long time, they'll always fail. I mean, the communist empire is a great example of I, that, you know. I totally agree. Since Justin's not here, can I say that mainstream economics is fake and gay? <laughs> it is. Somebody had it to. Is it is super fake and gay. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah, that. they really try to convince you that savings is a bad. It's crazy seeing these when you argue against people against an inflationary currency a bunch of these like ivy league economists will come out and be like oh you don't know how terrible a deflationary currency could be that'd mean everybody would save their money do you know how terrible that would be for the government and just coming from someone who's not educated at all could be a sixth grader you'd cock up your ear and say wait you're saying saving money is bad for the economy but it, <laughs> they have to it's so dumb that the only way you could convince someone of it is to send them to Harvard for four years or Stanford for four years. Like, it's just, it's not true. Everybody knows when they're trying to get to a better place in their own life, they don't get to a better place in their own life by going out and blowing their paycheck at the mall and at McDonald's and stuff. They get by, by saving more than, uh, 
you know, consuming less than they produce, you know, saving more money than they spend and using that to make investments or make bigger purchases or build a garden or buy a nicer car or fix, maintain the car you have, all these other things. And so it, if it's not going to make sense on the scale of a household, it's definitely not going to make sense on the scale of a country. And they seriously try to convince you it'd be devastating for the country, for the economy, if there is a deflationary currency that incentivized people to save. It's like, no, we need everybody spending or else the economy won't grow and blah, blah, blah. Nobody will ever buy. They try to tell you nobody will ever buy anything if the currency is becoming more valuable. Like what? No, I got, I need toilet paper today. I need yeah, eggs yeah. today. I need okay. energy today. I, I Yeah, I'm going to buy those things no matter the price. It doesn't matter if my dollar is going to be worth more a year from now. I'm still going to buy those things today. I might wait to buy the things I don't need, but that's a good thing too, you know? And they just, they got him, they got it so backwards. They make it so complicated. You could literally read Henry Hazlitt's uh, economics in one lesson and be smarter than a, you know, Ivy League uh, <laughs> Keynesian economist. It's uh, just ass backwards. You... I want to see how some of these people do their econo do their accounting uh, at home, how they pay their bills and stuff. Like you go and spend every paycheck, I'm sure, right? It'd be bad for the household <laughs> if you didn't. <laughs> what was that book that you just mentioned, please, Daniel? Uh, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. Henry it's a great Hazlitt. book. You can find PDFs for it for free online and stuff. It's an easy read for anybody. So yeah, that's the best uh, introduction into econ I mean, I mean, that's all you need, really. It's got all the information. You can get in there more technical and getting other reading more technical books by other authors and stuff like that. But that one really has everything you need to understand it. It's okay. just, and it's really accessible. And as you're reading it, you're kind of like, you're almost like not even getting you any, any new information. It's just kind of like that same thing. Yes, saving money so you can build bigger things. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously that's a good thing. And you're just, I mean, things you haven't ever thought about or articulated, but then you're reading them and you're like, well, duh. Of course, yeah, right. it's common sense. <laughs> and then you realize that economics isn't as complicated as they make it, you know. Does it go into, you know, uh, does it explain the fractional reserve banking sort of system? which you know the bullshit uh, yeah yeah it makes yeah it makes many examples of it it doesn't really like go into a history of it or anything but it exposes how it is harmful right. and you know and not and not just necessarily fractional reserve banking but like mandated fractional reserve banking. there's always been fractional reserve banking it has but they would be honest about it up front you go you know 100 years ago or before the fed i guess 150 years ago you'd go into a bank and you'd pay them to keep your money safe and or they'd also give you the option that you could put the invest it with them or they would take your money and invest it and you'd get returns but you made that choice when you deposited it and you could take half your money and put it towards uh saving where they just hold it in there for you and you take the other half and invest it with them but you understand going in there that only half my money i can go get right now the other half is locked up into savings that i get over time you already made the agreement but now with the banking system they just take all a they take all of that money and go and invest it and stuff but at the same time they look you in the face and say yes you can come get your money anytime you want it'll all be there even though it won't all be there you know so it's just like being upfront and honest for it and about it and not b being legalized and mandated by the federal government cuz now every gov every bank does this there's no i don't know if there's a single bank now that you could just go give your money to and pay you know 0.5% a year or something to hold on to it in reality, that's how banking, if there was a bank like that, I'd, I mean, say I had $100,000 in savings. Would I rather, these savings accounts have been paying less than 1% for a long time. Like, would I rather get $1,000 a year on that and a chance that it might not be there when I'm there? Or would I rather pay $1,000 a year and know that it's there the whole time? I'd rather pay for it. You pay to have your, 
you know, RV stored at the RV dealership. People pay for storage units. People pay for, you know, keep all kinds of stuff safe. Your money is your everything, is everything you worked with. Why wouldn't you pay a little bit to keep it safe and accessible and ability to write checks and stuff like that? Because to be honest, banking shouldn't be free. You should be paying for it. <laughs> and when you're not paying for it, then that's because you're the you're the product, really. You are the product. Yeah, they're yeah, taking, exactly. yeah. It's the same law as same signing up for anything online or something. If you're not paying for it, you are the product. And that's mm -hmm. the same. They make it really hard for banks to get. This is not easy to open a bank in the United States. That's like almost impossible at this point. 150 years ago, there's 30,000 banks in the United States. As of like 10 years ago, there's like 3,000. I don't even know how many there are now. There are not very many of them. And uh, I think it's like below it. I think it's only like a few hundred or something. I'd have to go double check that. I don't want to say something wrong. Yeah, so, they just totally got rid of the competition. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Can I just ask one more question here? Um, in Australia, um, I was thinking about um, taking my money out of one of the big four and actually trying to do the right thing and support one of the smaller regional banks uh, who have just actually bought another one of the smaller regional banks. And I thought, well, okay, maybe they're not as small as I thought. But uh, with, is that a that sounds maybe after this discussion, I'm thinking maybe that's not a great idea to do. It sounds like it might not be, and I'm yeah. I'm not really the right person to ask on this advice, but I it might not be. Anything. People are people are fleeing out of those small banks right now, and also I'm not sure how the Australian you know, like insurance works and stuff like that. I'm no not familiar with that at all. But yes, it's definitely something here in the United States. People are fleeing the smaller banks and going to the bigger ones, right. and I can't exactly blame them. You know, the bank bigger ones have already been promised to be bailed out because there's the so Janet Yellen said that himself. The ones that are significant at uh, risk of uh, infecting the banking system as a whole, then yes, we'll bail those out. The ones who aren't, we are not going to. So. Which I don't know, that might change just all of them at some point. But yeah, I can't really blame people for going and putting them in the bigger banks at this point, even though we hate those and we don't want them there. I have mine in a credit union. I've been considering starting up a Wells Fargo account or something, too, because I just got a local credit union. Well, it's not local. Even all these credit unions and smaller banks are generally owned by a bigger regional bank and stuff like, you know, there's not very many local banks anymore. At the very least, they're like regional where they only serve, you know, the Southwest or something. That's mm -hmm. what mine is. It's Sandia yeah. Labs Credit Union. So if you if you aren't one of the big wealthy and uh, depositors, if if your bank is a member FDIC, then you don't need to move it out of that smaller bank if that's what you have your money yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you don't in the United States if you don't have more than 250,000 then it's I guess it's yeah, not fine. You don't have to worry about your money not being there. You just have to worry about your money not being worth very much in a few years. Right. But it'll right. be there. <laughs> which right. which is going to be for anybody, right? And that's any bank because of the inflationary environment that we find ourselves in, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's any bank is going to, mm -hmm. there's very few assets. I mean, gold and silver, and then hopefully Bitcoin. I hope Bitcoin's a hedge against inflation, and I hope it doesn't get like completely destroyed during the recession. But that's what I'm hoping, which has got lots of good signs right now. You know, it's in a really strong trend and stuff. So I hope Bitcoin's a inflation hedge, but I definitely wouldn't put all my money in it just in case it's not. But then I'm nervous. I'd be nervous putting all my money in gold or silver, too, you know, because they can manipulate those prices like crazy. Mm -hmm. But in general, gold and silver have held their value a lot better over, you know, there are little times when you could have bought some and been in the red for a long time. Like if you would have bought gold in like 1984, I think it was. It hit eight hundred dollars then, 
and then it didn't hit $800 again until like 99 or something like that, 2000. But for the most part, it holds its value a lot better. And it's inversely correlated to the dollar. It's the strongest correlation in the markets when even on smaller time frames, when you see the dollar go uh, down, gold goes up and vice versa. When, you know, the dollar's going up, gold goes down. It's really, so I, you know, I, man, I keep some gold, you know, always want to have a little bit of gold and silver at your house or silver, you know, silver is just as good, but you, it's easier to buy in small amounts too. So mm -hmm. silver is probably where you want to start, but I honestly wouldn't know where to tell people to put money these days. I, you know, I've got some crypto, I've got some silver and I've got, you know, a little bit in the stock market. I own some gold mining stocks, but even that I'm too nervous to put too much money in, you know, mm -hmm. I'm still still got mostly cash and i'm afraid to give advice to you know like yeah, yeah. i don't want to ruin people because <laughs> made though they really are not making anywhere fine. safe to put our money they made everywhere right. is not safe because it's a tricky is good advice yeah yeah it's a tricky time it really is to figure out like well what is the right thing to do obviously we're you know we the only thing that we know for sure is that the goal of central bank digital currency but we don't have a timeline you know we don't we we have no idea so it, it's difficult yeah and then what it tends to happen is usually what everybody's not expecting to you know <laughs> so yeah back in 2008 nobody was expecting an economic crash back then but it happened and now today everybody is expecting it and uh, i guess it's kind of happened i think we're technically in a recession still but you know even like normies or like we're going into a depression and stuff like that, you know, which back in 2008 was not the sentiment of the markets and the people trading the markets. They were all just, you know, everything's going up forever. Housing markets booming. Everything's great, you know, but now nobody's like that, but the markets are kind of going up right now too. So <laughs> I know. Right. You know, this year point. hasn't been bad for the stock market. It's last year was bad for it, but so far this year, past three months have been pretty good for crypto and stock. All right. Well, I think we um, have covered a lot of really interesting topics related to this and I'm getting ready to start wrapping up, but just, um, I wanted to check with Daniel and see if there's anything else that you wanted to kind of finish out on as far as what you've been discussing. Um, I think what I want to emphasize is, cause I don't know my ex, I don't want to say expertise, but my interests are more in crypto. What I know most about is in crypto. Mm -hmm. And I really think this is a great time to highlight that these stable coins that we all rely on to prop up our crypto market are backed up by government debt that we, you know, these government bonds that banks are backed up by and everything else is. And we, we need to fix that problem. We need to stop buying Stop supporting these stable coins. Use cat. I mean, it sounds weird saying use dollars, but yeah, I'd rather see you using dollars to buy Bitcoin and stuff than using these stable coins. And uh, we need to, you know, basically they might be the. I have a theory that these might be the CBDCs, you know, or something mm -hmm. just like them. Like we said, Twitter might just take on Tether's, you know, business plan and release a currency, and everybody just uses it because it's easier and cheaper right. and stuff like that. And so I think we need to be really suspicious of it, not be looking at the Fed, yelling at them not to release a CBDC and be distracted by that while it, we're actually all using one and we don't even realize it, you know, because it has all the same aspects. It can be tracked, it can be frozen, it can be deleted. So I think like that's the message I'm kind of hammering home right now is these stable coins are backed, are the same thing as banks. They're working the exact same thing as banks. So we need to get our crypto and our 
Bitcoin and the banks need to go separate ways, in my opinion. Yeah, um, convenience is always the carrot. Oh, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, people will give up anything for convenience, you know. <laughs> and just because we see, like, the vast majority of people in the world, you know, giving up their freedoms, giving up their free will, giving up their mind and their attention span just to, Love you know, you. easy things. Even if they all go in that direction, that doesn't mean the the rest of us can't go in a different direction, you know, even if it's only a handful of us. And that doesn't mean we can't, you know, even if Monero and Pirate Chain and these kind of things never become something everybody in the world's using, you know, us dissidents and us, you know, the tunnel people like Monica would say, we <laughs> could still use it. We could still use that alternative, you know, and I, I want to have it there and not need it then you know, need it and not have it there. So I have a lot of respect for the people building privacy tools and, and not just in blockchain, just in everything. I mean, I'm not a developer. I don't write code, but I'm really appreciative of the people out there that are doing this. And the FOSS is what they call the community free and open source software is really important that we have this own software and going into like this matrix like world that we're you know seem to be headed in so mm -hmm. i i really want to give a shout out to anyone who's working in that arena and they're usually doing it for free too so that's what free and open source is the only way to get paid is if someone's donating it to you because you're not selling the software so mm -hmm. shout out to all those guys working on our privacy and a way to get out of the matrix when they lock us into it you know definitely all right any any other unknowns have anything they want to add before we sign out I'm just going to go and pick my brains up off the floor now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, I definitely want to thank you so much, Daniel, for taking the time to talk to us. I really enjoy the discussions. Um, I mean, you're definitely functioning at a way higher level than me, um, but you give me a lot to think about. And I, I appreciate your optimism in spite of, you know, what I consider to be a, a pretty scary topic, you know, the, the powers that shouldn't be central bank digital currency, that kind of stuff has been something that has bothered me and worried me for, you know, since I've known about it. So I appreciate your optimism in that regard. I think it's very much needed. Um, and, and again, just your time to go over all this with us, answer our questions. And I did want to let everyone know um, that you can find the unknowns at our union of the unknowns.com website. That is our link tree. So it, you can find us on Twitter, email, voicemail, um, our Rockfin page, all of that good stuff. So please refer to that. It also has the link for our discord group for union of the unknowns. And uh, Daniel, do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Um, well, I guess if you're trying to reach out to me, the best place is just on Twitter. I'm mm -hmm. uh, anarchy underscore dot underscore gov. So it's anarchy.gov at twitter.com. And then I also got a minds page that I'm going to be posting to once a week. It's a uh, based new world. So minds.com slash based new world, B-A-S-E-D, like the opposite of brave new world. It's based. Love that. And so. <laughs> uh, we can put that in our show note. And the other thing. It, are you going to put that content on Substack also, or you decided only mines? No, I, I'm going to put it on Substack. I just haven't made the account yet. So I okay. need to I'm put it on Substack. I'll probably put it on several other websites too. Hive is like a blockchain like blogging website that I'll probably put it on. I got lots of friends over there. So perfect. I'll put it, I'll put it, it anywhere. If anybody has any recommendations, I'll put it anywhere, really. So 
Okay. Well, keep us updated on that. We will share the minds.com, but also as you get other platforms, we'll share that out as well. Um, and then unless anybody has anything else, I think that's everything. I want to thank you again, Daniel, Stella, Terry, Keel. I really appreciate it. I have loved speaking with y'all as always. And, um, other than that, everyone have a good evening and take care. Thanks everybody. I'll see you next time, thank guys. You. Thanks thank you. Thanks, Daniel. No problem. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks. 